it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Welcome to Stramash, the Scottish NFL podcast. This is episode 202, and a matter of hours after Dan Orlovsky did a sneeze and a fart, tonight live on this podcast, Paul Mitchell will have some cheese and a shart. Good evening, Mr. Mitchell. Ah, good evening to you, Cameron. It's always nice to be joining you when your team wins. We're joined tonight by Gordon McGuinness, who's manned up to talk about the Ravens. And we've been joined by Charles Patterson, although we're not. He's not feeling very well. He's got a bit sore in the voice. So that just leaves you and me to to give it to the Ravens pretty good. And I'm sure we'll be able to manage that. In fact, I'm fairly certain Gordon's going to be sticking it to the Ravens pretty good tonight as well. Gordon, how are you doing? Uh, I've I've recovered. Sunday was <laughs> Sunday was two days ago, so I'm over it. I just, <laughs> you know, I, unlike Charles, when my team get beat and it's a little bit embarrassing, I'll still show up. <laughs> um, let's get straight in then. So the new format for this season, we'll go through the Loch Lomond Belter Award. We'll pick a winner. We'll go through some of the Bowfin nominations. We can pick our winner there, and then we'll move on to Team of the Week as we select our lineup based on the best performances of week two. We've already had a couple of comments about that. We'll cover that when we get to it. Then it's on to week three and some scintillating ties. We'll hear once again from the guys at the Western Isles NFL show. And then a couple of news items to wrap things up. We've got a brilliant documentary that's been sent to us that we'll talk to you about. And we've got a couple of live events that we need to give information about as well. So let's get stuck in though, gentlemen, with our Belter nomination for the Loch Lomond Belter. And before we start, I just want to take this moment to wish Tony, who's done wonderful things with Loch Lomond and with us, a very happy 50th birthday. And what a way he got to celebrate sitting up late at night to watch his Eagles beat the Vikings somewhat convincingly. Yeah, many happy returns to Tony. And you say somewhat convincingly, very convincingly. Uh, I think that was one of the slight surprises for me. Camera, I thought the, the Vikings, you know, having taken care of Packers in week one, uh, would really have a go. But just watching it this morning uh, via the NFL app and watching the highlights and listening to some of the comments, I mean, the scoreline 24-7 doesn't sound too bad, but it was not even as close as that. Indeed. And we'll start. And listen, there's a wide range of Belter nominations this week. I There's one person has got more than anyone else. But beyond that, it's individuals, loads of them, because it was a scintillating week too. There was so much action. Right from the off, the six o'clock games, it, I'll be perfectly honest, there was a period of maybe about half time where I was thinking, these games are a bit shit. And then the second half of them happened, it was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Exactly why we love the NFL. But let's get stuck in and let's start. Cameron, Cameron can yeah. I just interrupt you there? I'd just like to apologise for the noise in the background. Uh, there's a lot of Raiders fans outside my house at the moment. They're popping champagne. They're really excited about the podcast. Uh, they're thrilled about how it's going. Um, so apologies for that if you hear the noise. It's unlike them to be celebrating early, but that's just the way it is at the moment. I, I am going to I'm gonna do what no one else does, and I'm going to defend Raiders fans here. <laughs> I, think, I think that wound up being a little bit of fake news. Uh, 
I think the Las Vegas. It looked great, isn't it? It just looked great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they won the NBA, the WNBA championship. They popped some champagne, it, but it was on screen with the scoreboard, and it looked it looked awful because. They... <laughs> okay, okay, me and me and Cameron are in a fantasy football league with a Raiders fan who is convinced that everything is an absolutely ginormous conspiracy. So, so I, I figured that I should probably defend the Raiders in this case. I don't, I think absolutely just keep that going. Let's build it up even more. Let's stir the pot as much as we can. Okay, straight in then. So Jalen Hurts gets a nomination from Robin Lawrence. Doubted so often and throughout, doubted so often and thought of just a runner, really went off versus the Vikings, 333 yards, passing with an 80.9% completion on top of his rushing success. The Eagles are legit and he is a huge part of the reason why. Like I say, beyond that, there's a whole bunch of people. So Paddy Kelly gives it to the 49ers head coach, general manager. Now looks like incredible business keeping Jimmy G. Season would have been in the bin had they not, and they took a fair bit of heat for the extension just a few weeks ago. Not so much an extension, a recontract, but keeping him in, in the building. Brian Dando gives it to Jimmy himself. Was ready to go and smash the Seahawks when Trey went down. No more QB controversy. The Super Bowl winning narrative is writing itself. Talking about Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, Joe Flacco gets a couple of nominations. Ross Taylor puts it best when he says, when are we ever going to get the chance to put Flacco in for this nomination? Amazing end to an amazing game. It was the battle of which team will fuck this up the most. Browns versus Jet. Loved it. Also, what a weekend. And it was a great weekend. Kyler Murray gets a nomination. Scott Kirkwood. I'm quick enough to slag him when he's poor, but he single-handedly won that game for the Cardinals. Well, that and the defense. Uh, the 84-yard run for a two-point conversion was magnificent. I particularly enjoyed someone putting that to the Benny Hill music. This is me, not Scott saying that. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, a piece of art. Lamar Jackson gets one from Phil Spears. That was just about a perfect Jackson performance. Elusive running, good, quick processing, and some wonder dimes chucked down the field. Shame his defense switched off completely. Beyond that, the only other quarterback, other than the one that gets a hold of the mentions, is Jared Goff. Ryan Miller says, I've watched so much football over the weekend and listened to several recap podcasts since. I haven't once heard Goff's name. There were some exceptional performances over the weekend, but here is a guy keeping company with the Mahomes and Allens of the world in passer rating and touchdowns to the first two weeks. That bailed his D out every time they gave up a score and he has refused to be the punchline that he's supposed to be. It may not last, but he's been a belter so far this season. So I think absolutely it's right that we give some Jared Goff love here. But without a shadow of a doubt... The person who gets by far the most nominations is Tua Tagovailoa. Peter Fotheringham says, "Led I, the." I, I cannot stress how much I love that every single week in this podcast you butcher the pronunciation of a quarterback's name. It's amazing. Tua Tago Tagovailoa. Well, where did it go wrong? Well, the O isn't before the L. Tagovailoa. Oh yeah, fine. I, I saw Viola. See, I've just got instruments in my mind because he, he was playing classical music. It was so smooth. Right, that was that was a shit line. Anyway, it led the Dolphins to a comeback win for the AGs. It's not been easy for him over the past two years, but he came up with a huge performance that could hopefully be a career-defining moment. I'm not biased, honestly. And Stephen Briggs says, his stats were amazing. 
36 of 50, 469 yards and six touchdowns, but bringing his team back to win from 21 points down by throwing bombs to Helen Waddle. Not bad for a guy who can't throw deep. A couple of other nominations get in there amongst it as well. Um, Amon Rassen Brown gets one. Stefan Diggs gets one. Some absolutely brilliant performances. Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins offense as a whole from Joe Steven. Um, but yeah, Jets fans, loads of, uh, a couple of nominations for them. And another one that I particularly enjoyed, Patrick Watson gives it to the Broncos fans, resorting to collectively shouting out the countdown of the play clock to try and stop the team getting any more delay of game penalties. Only a couple of weeks in, but Hackett has had some situational stinkers and looks to be out of his depth. Gentlemen, who is your belter of the week? There's a lot of options here, by the way. There really I, is a lot of options. So I, I'm going to first tell you why I don't think, I think it's a little bit generous to give it to her. The, the Ravens secondary in that game really tested my theory of Cameron can't complete a pass in the NFL. <laughs> two, two, two of two as touchdown. I mean, the, the, the game tie-in one was just, he's wide open. Like there's a complete pre-snap coverage breakdown on that play. A rookie's on Tyreek Hill who do- doesn't cover him deep downfield because it's not what his role is supposed to be in the play. Like they, the coaches have to call a timeout there. But two of those big long touchdowns in the fourth quarter were just just complete coverage breakdown. So I I think if you're isolating performance instead of just looking at stats that were probably benefited by bad defense, I think Jalen Hurts is probably a good shout. Yeah, I mean Jalen Hurts. It was, I mean, it was fairly clean. He only threw for one touchdown. He had one interception, sacked three times. Tua was sacked once. Six touchdowns, two interceptions. Jackson had the better rating of everybody. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions, so, zero sacks. L- Lamar, Lamar wasn't. I've spent, I've spent like the last day arguing with people because his PFF grade wasn't that good. And the reason why his PFF grade wasn't that good is because he fumbled the ball at the Dolphins' one yard line, like that. Yeah. You know that, and 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 that wound up being that wound up being a four point fourteen point swing, but that's not really his fault because the defense then didn't you know allowed a ninety four yard drive. But also with the game tied, he threw a pass that should have been a pick six, an awful throw. Um, he'll probably not have a worse throw all year. It just it was dropped, and a lot of people I think when that happens just think it doesn't count because it was dropped, so you don't need to think about it. So, I don't get me wrong, the run was incredible and. He's improving as a passer even now in what's his fourth year, fifth year, whatever this is, fifth year now. Um, but again, I, I just, I, I struggle to put him above even, you know, even though what I said, I struggle to put him above Tua, I struggle to put him above uh, Hertz, I struggle to put him above Joe Flacco this week. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Gordon. I actually think Joe Flacco's the answer to this one. His team had a 1% win probability, according to the next gen stats. And he brought them back to win the game. That is highly, highly impressive. Uh, for two, I mean, it's worth noting, five of the touchdown passes came when their chances of winning was under 50%. So it was impressive. But I agree with Gordon. I mean, watching it, I mean, I could see it from here that the people were wide open. I mean, it was almost... And it, These are professional sports people and they, they are at the top of their game. 
so when we criticise them, we, we're criticising them within that top tier and acknowledging just how good they are. But that was embarrassing, watching just how wide open these guys were. And I, I'm with Gordon. A couple of these throws could have been picked and we wouldn't have been talking about it. We still probably would have talked about how the Ravens, um, you know, let the Dolphins back in. I think you give credit to the Dolphins. They did what they had to do to come back in and win the game. But my God, you've just got to look at that Ravens and the amount of blown coverage was almost embarrassing. I think we should give an honourable mention in the Belter Award to Kevin Harlan for calling the game. He was brilliant. His voice just added tremendously to it. But I think, you know, I, I flicked over to watch Flacco. And, and bizarre that this may sound, I had no doubt that he was going to the end zone on I, that last I, I, I honestly... Absolutely none. Like, the, the Joe Flacco storyline this year is set up that we could have him start the NFL season, lose to the Ravens, but then pick up wins against the Browns, the Bengals, and the Steelers. Like that, that's that's what that's what the uh that's what the schedule's set up for. At which point they'll just bring him back and build him a statue in Baltimore, which he's gonna get at some point anyway. But <laughs> mid, mid, the, Raven, the Ravens are hosting a, a thing like week 10 or something this year when they have a primetime game for the 2012 Super Bowl team. Even if even if Flacco's still in the Jets, they'll bring him back at that point just to parade him around if he gets those three wins. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's impressive. But I, I honestly watched Flacco and I was convinced he was going to do what he did. There just seemed to be something about he, him. He he did this, in, but like he, he was so underappreciated in Baltimore because he's not the most consistent quarterback. But yeah, he had three or four fourth quarter game winning drives against the Steelers. He had game winning drives against the Patriots in New England in the in the playoffs, stuff like that. Like, I, I he's... He is genuinely underappreciated. I always find it really interesting. You compare him and Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan's the guy who had the better kind of single season stats and stuff like that. Joe Flacco had far better clutch play in his career than Matt Ryan's ever had. Okay. So we've heard the arguments for and against. Um, I'm hearing two of you may have already decided that this is going to Joe Flacco, right? Is well, that who well, you're putting forward? Well, I did say Jalen Hurts, but if Paul's given a vote to Joe Flacco, I'm giving a second vote to him, so he wins it. Okay. I mean, Joe Flacco's passer rating was better than Jalen Hurts. It, Joe Flacco threw for four touchdowns versus Hurts's one. Um, fine. Let's let's embrace it. In the spirit of some of these guys getting mentioned, Jared Goff, notable mention as well. But congratulations. And I didn't think I would be saying this. Let's raise a glass to Joe Flacco because you are the Loch Lomond Belter of the week. So that then takes us on to the Bowfin Award, uh, which we might have to just start calling the Nathaniel Hackett Award because that's, <laughs> that's the way it's going. Now, I know Gordon mercilessly takes the piss out of me for listening to the radio as much as I do, but... I put that game on the radio to listen to the Broncos announcers. Boy, were they stretched in trying to be nice about their team. What a mess was going on there uh, between Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, forgetting to put a punt returner on the field. I mean, that that in itself takes some doing. I mean, they blew their timeouts with, what, seven, seven and a half minutes still to go in the game? I mean, it yeah, was quite, quite wild. To, to have another mistake on you know, fourth down near mid midfield, like for the second week in a row, 
they it's really tough to be excited about where they are this season because Nathaniel Hackett looks not what you need him to be as an NFL head coach two weeks in. Now, it's two weeks, you know, three weeks from now, he cleans up, you know, a couple of mistakes a game and all is forgiven and everyone forgets it. But there are huge mistakes he's making just now. And it's not helped by the fact that Russell Wilson hasn't been good either. But, you know, they, they, they realistically could be 2-0 despite Russell Wilson struggling with better decisions at head coach. And that that's why you're employed as, employed as a head coach. Make those decisions. And both both of the opening weeks of the season, he's got big decisions very, very wrong. So there was obviously him. I mean, I'm going to nominate Jameis Winston. I keep telling you guys, it's not the number of interceptions he throws, it's when he throws them. And he wasn't very helpful on Sunday. We've got to talk about the Colts getting absolutely spanked by the Jaguars. I mean, Matt Ryan's supposed to be a decent quarterback and yet can't put a point on the board against the Jags. I mean, that was almost unbelievable to watch. I don't know about you guys, but I just kept expecting the Colts to start coming back because that's what I was expecting, and it just never, ever happened. The the Jaguars are a, a better team than people were ready for. And the Colts have done for the third year in a row, went with the wrong decision at quarterback in the offseason. Now, year one, they got to the playoffs, but they were never winning the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz didn't even get into the playoffs, thanks to a loss to the Jaguars. And Matt Ryan, who, don't get me wrong, I, I didn't think it was a particularly bad decision at the time. I just thought it was kind of odd that you should probably try and build for the future a little bit at quarterback instead of constantly going down the road they've gone down. But he looked bad. And that's, that's you know, if, if Matt Ryan doesn't turn it around this year, that's three mistakes at quarterback in a row, or definitely two. And it's very hard to see the general manager surviving that. I, I thought Matt Ryan was a great pickup. I thought that versus Carson Wentz, who you know, got them close to the playoffs. I thought that Matt Ryan would be able to go into Jacksonville and win there. But, you know, we're going to talk about bad performances, Winston, what have you. I mean, Matt Ryan's is easily the worst. 16 completions for 30 attempts, 195 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, five sacks, and a passer rating of 34. It's diabolically bad. And I get that Jacksonville are way better than we thought they were going to be. And I get, and I think that losing Pittman was a big loss to the Colts. But with Hines and Taylor in that backfield, there's no way they shouldn't be scoring at least some points against Jacksonville. So there's clearly a problem there. And, and Wentz wasn't the issue. Or if he was, he's not the only issue. And I think that's pretty clear as well. He's now he's now captain commander. He's doing not too bad for the commanders. <laughs> I keep keep it in the AFC South though. Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans are also bad. Tan- Tannehill was dreadful last night. What like thirteen completions, something like that, two interceptions. No, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't very pretty, was it? I mean, again, having a look. I mean, again, some of the nominations that have come in. Uh, a few for Mike Evans. Was he standing up for his quarterback, or was he just being boofing coming off from the sidelines and I, I hitting a cheap hard, shot? 
I think that's harsh on Evans because I think Tom Brady probably started that. Yeah, but nobody's going to fight Tom Brady. I think I said that in a group chat on Sunday. Nobody's going to take a swing at Brady. Uh, Lattimore and Evans have got a little bit of history. Evans is the one who's been suspended for for the game, just for the, the, the way he came in. Um, as the, as the Bucks finally won a game in New Orleans that wasn't a playoff game, so that was the way that was the way it goes. While we're talking, and actually just to, to swing back to the Belter Award, Josh Allen played pretty well <laughs> in his Monday Night Football. I know the the Titans were pretty poor, but I think we probably just shows how much we're expecting from the Bills this year. What about you guys? Anything else catching your eye in terms of the the bad, the boofing of Week Two? Uh, the, the Raven secondary, but we already covered the why of that. <laughs> Just Marlon Humphrey went out in the fourth quarter and they gave up four touchdowns. Not great. The one I'm surprised you've not mentioned, Paul, uh, we talked about Jameis Winston, and I think you know other people are, are right. Ian Brown gave his nomination. He said, Jameis Winston, for giving me false hope of no interceptions in the first six weeks when throwing a pick, and then a few minutes later, a pick six. Just to rub salt into the wounds and losing me a bottle of whiskey and a steak dinner, because that's what we said we would offer up if there was no interceptions from him. But hey, there you go. Um, you know, Mike Evans does get a few nominations this week. Tommy Brady gets one as well, though. But, you know, Scott Kirkwood says, Mike Evans, for participating in scenes, we obviously don't like to see him getting ejected. And it cost me to lose my fantasy game by a point. You know, it's there's, mm. there's people get angry when they see ugly scenes, but they get utterly furious when it costs them a fantasy game. That's tipping it over the edge. Um, Wilson and Hackett get a few. The one that I'm surprised you haven't brought up because you bloody pissed and moaned about this plenty on Sunday, the officials. Ross Black says, particularly in the Saints-Bucks game, not a Saints fan, but some of the penalties given on a suttering drive from Brady shortly after the ejections were baffling. The injections themselves need explaining. Lattimore was jumped by Evans, yet both go shambles. Okay, I didn't mention it because I hope somebody else would. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> Only you know, one person. Well, yeah. The Saints... It, I See, I think it's quite interesting. The Saints are not seen in terms of being a big market team. They're not. And the Saints very rarely, and I'm biased and I'll admit, fully biased, I'll admit that, they don't seem to get the calls, even at home, which, which you know, makes things a little bit maddening. The ones, I mean, I bleated about it once in the chat and then I bleated about it again. And I thought, I better stop because it's getting repetitive. It's not like you could look at the, the thing and think, yeah, okay, I get it. I couldn't even get that far with some of the decisions against the Saints on Sunday. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason they lost the game. I mean, the Winston pick sick. Winston throws deep with two minutes to play. Olavi just coughs the ball up. You know, if we got back, we might be in our onside kick and all that sort of stuff. You know, I'm not blaming the, the officials necessarily, but that drive that you're talking about, you could argue switched the game around. And the Saints very rarely get the calls at home, which is which is bizarre. I don't know. Do, do they put them up in a bad hotel in New Orleans, or you know, what, what's the problem with the refs going going to the Superdome? It's bizarre. I, I take it obviously this is not including the the NFC Championship game against Brett Favre in twenty ten. Oh, that's the, ages the, ago. The, come the, on, come the on. Saints the Saints have had bad calls obviously since that doesn't count. No, <laughs> I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking <laughs> about the last the last when five the years calls, or so. When the, the bad calls, years, when the seriously. bad calls benefited the Saints, they were oh yeah, well, that's fine, but that's fine. But like, so what, at the the bad calls that it's bad for the Saints, and everything always comes back to 
the Rams uh, penalty, which was the wrong call. And the NFL and people admit that. The problem I have with any complaints in the NFL and in you know other sports and to certain extents around complaints about officiating is you're never going to get it completely 50-50. But if you stretch the time that you measure these things out long enough, you can point out big decisions that went in favor in big games of other teams. So if you only look at five years for the Saints, all right, maybe they've been on the wrong end of that. Stretch that out 12 years, there's a pretty big pretty big thing that helped them get the Super Bowl, which helped them win a Super Bowl. That's that's how these things work. Yes and no. I, I can understand that to a certain extent. But I am fairly rational, apart from when it comes to the Saints. You know, give them a you're job. Not, you're not remotely rational. It's <laughs> not one of the words I would put in your top no ten one, descriptors. No one, on, <laughs> no one in this podcast would describe you as rational. You, let, came in late, you came in late to the live show the other week and started slamming I your binder hacked, down. I was hacked off. I can tell you, but professionally, I watch sport and I watch it from two perspective two teams perspectives i understand you know the officiating the referee and things like that what i'm saying with the calls that seem to be going against the saints is it's not it's hard even to give the referee the benefit the doubt as to why why they made these calls you know i agree with you you know certain things do tend to own you know even out over a season but you know part of my job is to try and analyze football from two sides i'm talking soccer here so i do get the officiating thing but just genuinely looking at some of these calls. I mean, there was other calls across the NFL as well this week. And you, and you kind of puzzle. I get errors and I get, and it's a judgment call. These, the, you know, what people have got to remember, these are laws of the game. They're not rules of the game. So laws are interpreted, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes, my God, you look at it and you think, I have no idea why you've called that in a certain way. And, I think it's always easy to blame the officials. And I'm not blaming the officials for the Saints' loss. I've got a quarterback for that. But I'm just saying it just tended not to quite go the Saints' way. And I do think that they do get picked on slightly. That's just the, the way it goes. I I have a similar thing. Like, I feel like normally against the Seahawks, the Niners never get the rub of the green with that stuff. And I think there's a perception there when you're sitting watching it. The thing that I find with officiating that bugs me more than anything is I think I... And again, this is my irrational view of it is players get preferential treatment. I think because it's Brady, Brady gets things that other people wouldn't get. I think Aaron Rodgers benefits yeah, a little bit from just, this. Just to be clear, the Brady stuff's been proven to be false. We we looked at that a couple of years ago. He's nowhere, he's nowhere near the top. Uh of I'm like, not saying that he's the top. Him. No, I'm not saying I, I don't mean that. It's kind of like so, and again, bringing it back to Scottish football, and I can't remember, I want to say it's Mike McCurry. Um said at one point that, you know, he used to give fouls against Gaza because he could see Gaza was getting wound up, even if it wasn't a foul, because he knew if he didn't do something, then Gaza was likely to react. You know, that player's getting treated differently because he's trying to stop it boiling over. And actually, that's not his job to stop it boiling over. If he reacts, gets sent off, so be it. Um, I'll get a bunch of abuse now for that. And that's probably I've probably read it on some conspiracy tweet or something like that, but whatever, right? I do think that certain players are treated differently because of who they are, and it works both ways. Um, some players get hit harder because of who they are, and some get away with it. Um, I am not passing judgment though on any particular cause. Some of them did feel very questionable. Uh, yeah, I think we saw a lot yeah. of the action. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it comes down to the fact that normally you can have a look and you can 
roughly understand why certain things are given. But in other cases, it's not. And, you know, unlike the Ravens secondary, the officials were there for the whole game. Um, <laughs> but it is, despite the fact they clocked off early to go and get a pit beef sandwich, I don't think there's any doubt that the Bowfin Award this week has to go to the Ravens weather. And it's not really only up to Gordon whether it goes to the whole team uh, just to the secondary or to the coaching I'd, staff. I'd, I'd, I'd give it to the coaching staff. So <clears throat> they, where, where, where I give the players a little bit of a break is Marcus Peters in his first game back from injury and he had him on like a pitch count. He, he didn't play all the snaps. Marlon Humphrey got hurt and missed most of the fourth quarter, which is where a lot of the touchdowns came in, which meant that they had two rookies um, out there for a lot of the time at cornerback. They had Kyle Hamilton, a rookie, and they had Marcus Williams, who I think has been great, but has you know, only been in the team a couple of a couple of weeks. The game tie and touchdown. What happens on that play? And I watched it a lot today because I was had people asking me questions about it. Mike Jasicki comes in motion. Kyle Hamilton follows him, and at that point, you've got the way the defense was set up. Either Kyle Hamilton or Marcus Williams was supposed to cover the deep half of the field where Tyreek Hill is. Jalen Armour Davis, the rookie. At that point, if he was a veteran, probably realizes, crap, the safety who was supposed to be here is gone because there's motion. And to be fair, give a ton of credit to Mike McDaniel for that play call because I think he's seen something that's allowed him to find a mismatch there. If Jalen, you know, he would maybe see that the rookie, the rookie, if he was a veteran and realize he has to make a change. It's not his fault though. He's a rookie and he wasn't even a top rookie. He was like a fourth or fifth round draft pick, something like that. The Ravens coaching staff at that point, when you see, we do not have cover on the deep half of the field against Tyreek Hill, and it's a rookie up against him. Call a timeout. It's third and six. Call a timeout. And this is this is a flaw in where the Ravens have been the last couple of years. They have struggled with injuries in the secondary, and they haven't necessarily made the coaching decisions to fit around that. They haven't dialed back the blitz a little bit to kind of make make a little bit of a difference there. And this game was the 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 you know the circumstances of that. So there we go. The Bowfing Award this week goes to the Ravens coaching staff. Unless, unless. I'm not having it, right? There's absolutely some lessons to be learned there, but there's there's an element this has to be respected because of the great play that they were up against, right? So great play can blow your coverage. Mike McDaniel schemes up to particularly target the weaknesses. I think it was a particularly good bit of masterclass for him. So for me, the Ravens are not the worst of the week. They're def- definitely not. Before John, I tell you John who the worst... Har- John Harbaugh won a Super Bowl in 2012. Call a timeout. Just call a timeout. Fine, right. Fine. One so, point, one so, play. Well, hang on. Just before you come in, camera, I can tell you that the Ravens are the bow for the award because it's two to one against. But oh. we'll give you your moment of glory and tell oh, us also, how also, we got it just, wrong. just to be clear, before you go on that, the Ravens were the one in a stat that's now like 700 and something to one in terms of blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of that magnitude. I get points. the significance of it. I get the significance. Anyway, before I, anyway, before I give us give us your two minutes on why Russell Wilson's a prick, on you go. It's not Russell. <laughs> it's not Russell Wilson. It's not Russell Wilson. Maybe partly Russell Wilson. Before I get to my actual answer, I just want to simply ask this: whose pass attempt was worse, DJ Dallas or Carson Wentz? Which one was the worst pass attempt? Because uh, they were both special. Uh, oh, DJ! That, I mean, that was a tremendous play call. <laughs> <laughs> DJ Spoonie would have had more of a chance of completing that pass. That was so, horrible. For me, in a week where 
the crowd at home has had to count down the play clock so that you don't let it expire. And they're booing in the first half as you struggle against the Texans. It has to be Wilson and Hackett, which sounds like the shittest law firm. They would drop your case in an instant. Um, it, there's, I, I get the Raven thing. In a week where the crowd are counting down the play clock because your quarterback is not aware of it and your coach doesn't know how to manage his game time and has used all these timeouts. It's horrific. We're not talking a few fans. Thousands of people were counting down the play clock so that the quarterback and the coach knew what was going on. There's nothing There's nothing you, that the Ravens did that was as bad as that. If you, if you are willing to pick just Hackett, because I think both and a war being split between the two of them is eh. Then Fine. I would be willing to accept Hackett. Because I'm convinced Wilson will do enough to justify his own nomination later in the season. Huh. Just I mean, not next I, week, because he's playing the Niners, so he'll probably absolutely give us a doing. But yeah. I, I guarantee no matter what he does, you're gonna get at least five nominations in for him throughout the year. He's a cheesy all right, all right, right, Nathaniel Hackett. It's changing, but it's, uh, it's a 21 point lead blown at home. I mean, so I mean, if the crowd were shouting, he's behind you in panto style, I would go with what you're saying. But I, I love the irony of it, I do get it. But I'm sorry, the historic 21 point blow and the nature of the way that they expired. Uh, you know, so which one of us can convince Gordon because he's the time here. I so I now feel like I'm being a homer by not picking the Ravens, but I did spend most of Sunday for (laughs) for anyone that's not aware, our our NFL Scotland WhatsApp chat, we we all get on very well, but we do deliberately noise each other up a lot. Yeah. About various things. Of course. And me and Cameron did spend the best part of about 90 minutes when no one else in the chat was talking, arguing about Russell Wilson versus Nathaniel Hackett. So <laughs> I, I don't think I can really spend 90 minutes saying that Hackett's been Hackett as a head coach through two weeks and then say he's not. So I'd, I'll go Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> well, in a shock reversal. So the call has been checked. It's been overturned. to the booth. It's been overturned. Nathaniel Hackett is our week two Bowfin Award winner. Right, we are on for a bumper podcast already because we've been prattling on for a while. Team of the Week, a new feature that we're doing this season where we pick our quarterback, our offensive line, three wide receivers, a running back, and a tight end. So we did say last week that anyone that won the belter would automatically go into Team of the Week, which means that our quarterback is Joe Flacco. Does anybody object? No, absolutely not. And I think Flacco's actually benefited from the fact that there are so many people you could put into this conversation that him coming back and winning for the Jets as a backup quarterback uh, against the Browns, who, fine, they've not got the guy they've chucked the money at, but they've still got a stellar defense, and they were at home as well. So Jets on the road to do that, that's big time. So we can move swiftly on. We can credit all those amazing other... So, you know, to a... uh, Carson Wentz gets a note. Uh, no, uh, Justin Herbert played really well. We've not even touched on that Thursday night game. Lamar, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Kyler Murray did really well. Jared Goff had a great game. Matt Stafford actually had a pretty clean game. 
lots of great performances out there. Cooper Rush, credit to him for coming in and surprising us all. Aaron Rodgers had a passer rating of 131.1. There's lots of good performances there, right? Joe Flacco's the quarterback, team of the week. Absolutely. He was the man that ensured there was no happy ending for the Browns, so we're all for that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, offensive <laughs> line. Who on our, who, what offensive line are we going? Now, one comment that we've had on socials was please consider the pass block as well. Uh, sorry, the, the run game as well as the pass block. Pass that protection. Was Jeez. Was that, was that Ian Steven that put in that? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was, uh, it was Pete Laird, I think, who is coach for the Napier Knights, I think. Um, so absolutely, I think it's an important part of this. The offensive line that I'm going to put forward right now is the Detroit Lions. I think that they were tremendous. And part of the reason that Jared Goff did as well as he did, now, fine, he was sacked three times, right? That line's not sensational, but I thought they did a really good performance against what is a decent Washington defense. Um, there was a lot of space created that allowed Goff time to find his his guys. Um, four touchdowns, pass rating of 121.7. Really, really great performance. The other one, though, I mean, the Bills have to get a shout because of that performance last night on both run and pass. You know, Singletary was looking sensational. Cook looks like he could be as good as his brother, potentially, and he hasn't necessarily shown that so far. Fine, a despondent Titan team they were facing, but still, that offensive line was on point all evening long. Uh, Single sack just for Josh Allen. Really, really clean. I, so I'm going to go a similar route to you against like a good a good defense. I thought New England's offensive line was really good against the Steelers. Now, admittedly, you know, no TJ Watt there, but um, yeah, I, I thought they did a really good job. I thought Cole Strange was a Cole Strange was a first round pick that we all kind of laughed at, um, and he's had his mistakes there. But I thought there was also like a lot of plays that were quite encouraging in that front. Uh, I think David Andrews really good play at center. Trent Brown at left tackle had a had a really nice game. I yeah, I'd I'd go New England personally. Okay, I'd I'd three written down. Uh, Bills, New England. I like the Jags. Just you know, yeah, having a yeah, look I'd... at the Jags, I thought they looked really competent. Now, <laughs> I, I will admit, I'm not a great expert in line play, but what I try and find is you try, I try and watch it a little bit more in certain games, and I, I thought the Jacks were just untroubled. Um, you know, Robinson got another good, you know, set of figures. Lawrence looked comfortable. Um, wasn't sacked. Yeah. And again, so that's I, meant to be a really good Colts defence. Yeah, I like the Jacks. That, that, I mean, that, that's where I would go. But, I mean, to, to Gordon's point, New England winning on the road. I mean, the Bills were at home. Um, so any of those, any of those three for me. Well, we've got Joe Flacco as the quarterback. We might as well put the Jacksonville Jaguar O-line in there as well, just to mix this up. No one let's will see it. this one coming. Fine. Let's, let's do it. O-line of the think, week. Jacksonville people think Jags. we're drunk. <laughs> 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 what, the, what have these boys at Stramash been doing? Yeah, we hit that Loch Lomond Mall a little bit too heavily. Um, l- l- let's look at wide receivers. I mean, we've got to look at Miami. I don't think we can look past Miami for, for this Waddle and the boy Tyreek Hill, who we've heard of, but the Ravens secondary apparently hadn't. <laughs> I, I think both of them probably have to yeah. be. Yeah, I was going to say, both of them do, because, I mean, they were 
sensational. Um, and and <laughs> do you it, go it, past Stefan Diggs? No, I don't think you do. I, th- I think again, I think it's a it's a relatively simple. I think it's an AFC one, two, three. I think they were. The tough thing for this is that I think Amon Rasent Brown has probably been just on the outside looking in two weeks in a row now, but he just he wasn't as good as either Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, or Stephon Dix. So yep. I, I think that's the three I would go for. A couple of yep. notable mentions still, you know, let's let's give some love where it's due. Um I thought Mike Williams did a really good job in that Thursday night game with Keenan Allen out. Obviously, Williams was a target. He made some very impressive catches. Amon Rasson Brown, we've talked about. I thought Amari Cooper showed a little bit of what he's all about for the Browns. Obviously, n- nobody's necessarily expecting an awful lot with them j- with Jacoby Brissett. Christian Kirk, yeah, that's a lot of money, and people have talked about how much money's been spent on him. But do you know what? That's two very important touchdowns. So I thought, you know, some great performances throughout. Um but yeah, the, the other one as well is Garrett Wilson. Obviously, Garrett Wilson um, really looks like a find for the, the New York Jets. Uh, showed a lot of talent. Obviously, he's built a relationship with his quarterback already. Very much a notable mention, but it's Hill Waddling. Lund- yeah, Drake London too. Like a, oh, yeah, a couple, yeah. couple of rookies looking really good. But yeah, Hill Waddle digs. I think it's. I think it has to be. All right. Um, we'll move on quickly then. Tight end. I, I think this is where I can comfortably go home. I think it was Mark Andrews this week. Yeah, Andrews did play particularly well uh, in both sides. Dallas, uh, Dallas Goddard did a pretty good job. I thought some of his blocking was really good. Yep. Um, Darren Waller impressed me again, I have to say, but I'm not arguing with Mark Andrews. No, I'm not arguing with Mark Andrews either. I think that's a pretty easy one as well, given how impressive uh, he was. And a big part of, you know, the the Baltimore Ravens O-line did actually a pretty decent job all afternoon as well. You know, we didn't really touch on that. Um, So, fine, Mark Andrews, right. Last place, running back. So I think this is really interesting because one of the candidates had the most rushing touchdowns of the week. But if he doesn't score one of them, the Jets don't come back. So how much are you knocking Nick Chubb for scoring that touchdown, which, you know, realistically they still shouldn't have come back from? How much are you how much are you knocking him for that? Because I, I, I think at that point there's another option that, you know. Yeah, I mean there is so how much are you knocking him at that? I think uh, can we put Lamar Jackson in as our running back? <laughs> no. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> um, right, if it's not Chubb with three touchdowns, because his average was 5.1, which isn't necessarily all that impressive. He did loads of little chunk plays. He does what Nick Chubb does. He finds the corner, all that jazz. There was nothing sensational in that. I thought Aaron Jones was yeah. really good against the Bears. Like... I- I was yep. surprised at how good he was, given that you know all the chats about AJ Dillon taking over, and Dillon just wasn't a factor in that at all. Um, I thought, yeah, I mean, Dill- Dillon still had seventy yards in that game, which is where it's you know, but he did carry the ball a lot, so his, his yeah. average was pretty. But yeah, I I agree. I think I think it's really close between Chubb and Aaron Jones. Uh, I think you probably give the nod to Aaron Jones anyway. 
Um, I, you know, I think, I, I think his play-by-play stuff was better. Both yeah. more missed tackles. Yeah, his contribution was more significant to the outcome of the team, I think, than Chubbs was. Yeah, three touchdowns, great. But yeah, on the losing side, as you say, the timing of one meant they actually gave the opposition the opportunity to come back. So fine, Paul. Anything that you want to add at the running back? Yeah, I think you've got the right you've got the right game, but you're missing the big story with the other team there. Um, now I don't think this has come out yet, but I'm convinced that David Montgomery must have been abducted by aliens during the week, <laughs> and somebody else came back because watching the start of that he game, was, thinking, he was good too. Who's this? You know, I mean, you know, all joking aside, if Chicago are going to have some success, they're going to need him to do what what he was doing. Spo- spoiler alert: They're not. As a 49ers fan, I'm saying nothing. (laughs) There goes the other 16 weeks of the season in Chicago. (laughs) Just early doors, I I thought, I've always thought he's a little bit cumbersome. Um, But I I just thought some of the cuts he made, some of the footwork looked good, Um, you know, broke a couple of tackles. I mean, okay, he faded away, you you could argue. But yeah, I I think he's worth a mention. I mean, Aaron Jones to me is the answer, but I think it's it's always nice to give somebody a little mention. I think David Montgomery, there's a little bit of hope there for Chicago. Yes, indeed. Okay, Aaron Jones is in. So there you go. That is our team of the week. Quarterback Joe Flacco behind an offensive line of the Jacksonville Jaguars. His three wideouts are Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and Stephon Diggs. His tight end is Mark Andrews. And his running back is Aaron Jones. Okay, then it's now on to week three, and there's some fascinating ties coming up. But before we give our thoughts, we're once again joined by the great guys up at the Western Isles NFL show as they chip in with their Upset of the Week. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. I'm Ian McKinnon. It's the Winifel Show, and I'm here with Dave Somerville. How are you doing, Dave? Fantastic. Glad to be here. Great stuff. Now, the last couple of weeks, Dave, the Upset of the Week hasn't quite panned out for us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Looks like the bookies are getting these ones wrong, so hopefully we can redeem it this week. So what we're going to do is we're going to go live to Las Vegas, and our man in the field, Callum Blaine, he should be there. Can you hear us, Callum? Indeed I can. I'm coming at you live from the Bellagio in Las Vegas. Now, you're never going to believe this, but I have bumped into, yet again, the one, the only, the Mr. Elvis Presley. Now, Elvis, I do have a slight bone to pick with you. You've been wrong two weeks on the bounce with your predictions for the NFL. Can you redeem yourself this week? Hi, man. It's, uh, it's all rock and roll, man. You know, like my mom, you're saying Tupelo and uh, Grace Land, you know, just taking care of business, man. 110%. They're really important big lessons, you know, and I try not to try to uh, hurt my family or offend anybody. Oh, 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 you know, uh, thank you very much. Okay, well, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it here first. The Detroit Lions are going to beat the Minnesota Vikings this week in the NFL. Going to hand it over back to you guys in the studio. Well, I couldn't have put it better myself. The Detroit Lions over the Vikings. Dave, what do you think of this? It might be a close one. Do you think we're going to get it right this time? you think the Lions can pull off that upset? Well, hopefully we've fixed our Ouija board and Elvis is right this time. So uh, I think we can we can sort of say that the Lions have a massive chance in this game to really turn the bookies 
well, turn us into proper bookies because I've got the Lions win this by 31 points to 24. So just looking at last week, I mean, the Lions, they were so impressive. Aiden Hutchinson, he's the real deal. You know, numerous sacks. Even Jared Goff, my old nemesis, turned up last week with four touchdowns. So the, the Lions have really put it together. I mean, the the, the over-under, it's, it's fluctuating around the 51 mark. Uh, so that would be, I, I think it's going to be a bit of a shootout. Um, and I, I don't, I have no faith in Kirk Cousins whatsoever. So... Yeah, I mean, it, the spread uh, was 8.5 uh, in favour of the Lions. It's now been cut to 5 because I think 8.5 was just ridiculous and people were jumping on that. So I think the 5 is probably about right uh, if the Vikings turn up. We don't know what Vikings are going to turn up. We said that on our podcast before. And I think the Lions are the ones that are really going to turn up. I'm on Racing Brown. He is the real deal. And then when Jared Goff can't find his men... What a run game they've got. DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams. I mean, DeAndre Swift is the fourth highest rusher in the league so far this year. And he's the, of the ones above him, it's almost half of the amount of runs that he's actually made. So DeAndre Swift, 200 rushing yards for the season already. Um, they've got a few injury questions around their offensive line. Uh, Jonah Jackson, their left guard, is currently as questionable as is their center, Frank Ragno. So... One thing that they really need to do is they need to, uh, on defense, they need to stop uh, losing the deep ball because that seems to have happened in both week one and week two. So maybe a bit of work for the cornerbacks to do. But uh, yeah, the Vikings, I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's now 2-10 and 10 on Monday Night Football. He, he just, he cannot do prime time. His overall record in the league is now 60-60-2. So he is the most mediocre of all the quarterbacks in the league, I feel. <laughs> but um, the Vikings, they, they really need to rush to Jared Goff as quickly as possible. Jared, uh, Jared Goff, uh, Dalvin Cook needs to really turn up um, because he only got 16 yards on Monday night. And, you know, Justin Jefferson not didn't really do much at all. Uh, Adam Thielen wasn't targeted until halfway through the third quarter. So they both need to really put in a performance if they're going to stop the rampant Detroit Lions. So there you go, Lions over the Vikings. Thanks very much for that, Dave. And surely we're going to get one right. It's not us. We don't blame us. Blame the guys in Vegas. We're going to hand you back over to the guys at the Stramash Podcast. So guys, the Western Isles NFL show picking the Detroit Lions over the Minnesota Vikings, which I get would be seen as an upset, but actually it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that's going to be a trendy call this week, to be honest. I mean, the Vikings look terrible. The Lions have done reasonably well over the first couple of weeks. Um, I would still be surprised if the Vikings don't win that one, but I can certainly see uh, where they're coming from on that. So looking ahead then to week three, what are the headlines? Let's Thursday night football, Gordon. That's truly exciting to see. Mitch Trubisky in action. Oh, I mean, I think I think everyone's going to be really excited to see Mitchell Trubisky. Where we came into the season, and I said at the, I think I said it at, the, at our live event, he is just uh, the trendy word in America just now is mid, and he is Mitchell Trubisky. First two games of the season, completed twenty-one passes in each. First two games of the season, averaged five point one yards per attempt in each. Game one, hundred ninety-four yards. Game two, 168 yards. 
over the two games, two touchdowns, one interception. He is the absolute definition of the 36th best quarterback in the NFL. Why 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 they play like there's there's surely no way in Pittsburgh you're looking at this and you're going, no, no, like we're gonna sneak in as the seven seed and Trubisky takes us on a run. There's no way you're thinking this. There's no way that's logically what you're thinking. At which point, just play Kenny Pickett for now 15 games and find out what you've got. I, I don't I don't understand the the desire to be eight and nine or nine and eight in Pittsburgh. Just find out what you've got from your quarterback that, you know, two years from now, you're going to be the team with the advantage because the Browns are paying Deshaun Watson entirely too much money. The Ravens are probably going to be paying Lamar Jackson a ton of money at that point. And the Bengals are probably going to have had to extend Joe Burrow. You will then have the advantage of your young quarterback, but don't, don't make them. Let's look at the 49ers just now. I know I'm going on like an absolute monologue here in this. 49ers, Trey Lance at the start of next season, will have played two games total when you add, add them together. Year three, you need to make a decision. In year four, if you're giving them the fifth-year option, you still don't really know what you've got at quarterback. The Packers drafted Jordan Love, haven't played him. No idea what you have at quarterback. Just play Kenny Pickett and find out what you've got. I think it's a very valid point. Um, well made. A monologue worth having. Um Looking at the rest of the games, we've got six teams who remain unbeaten through two, which feels low. I feel like we've normally got more than better. I could be wrong. Who of the six? Now, one of them is going to go because we've got the Dolphins versus the Bills this weekend, which, by the way, what a game. Now, that is... I can't believe that's at the six o'clock, to be perfectly honest. And if that's not the Sky game, I will eat my shoe. Um the meaning that the Jets Bengals will be relegated to red zone. Sorry, lads. Um, but you know, outside of that, the other unbeaten teams, the Chiefs, the Eagles, the Giants, the Buccaneers, who do we think of those other four are going to continue to be unbeaten? And who's the definite unbeaten team out of that Dolphins Bills game? Uh, so the I think the team that goes unbeaten the longest very possibly is going to be the Eagles. Their schedule's not terrible. Um and they are a bit of a juggernaut just now. And I at the Bills, the Bills beat the Dolphins, I think, relatively comfortably. I think as well, if you want to talk about the two and O teams, the meme of where you've got the three dragons, but one of them, you know, looks like he's not the brightest dragon in the world. That's the New York Giants as the two and O team right now. Let's they're not they're not quite of the same caliber as the Philadelphia Eagles and the Buffalo Bills two and O's. Yeah, aside from aside from their kicking game, which we love dearly, um, I think yeah, Kansas will beat the Colts. I, I, you know, people are talking up this Buffalo Miami game, but uh, this could be a bust. That that's the thing we've got to guard against here. I think Buffalo are much much better. Could prove prove wrong. And I'll come back on next week. Talk about. It. I did see um, uh, Mike McDaniel talking about the game today. Um, with it, with it, all the the passion of a Thunderbird puppet with a broken string, it just was really weird in his jerky haired movements, and didn't really strike me as somebody that was overly excited. Um, in terms of games, I want to see. I actually, I want to see Kansas against the Colts. I want to know what the hell is up with the Colts. 
you know, I, I think that that's quite a fascinating game to see if Kansas will go in there with this sort of laissez-faire attitude, thinking, well, this lot of rubbish, let's see how that that goes. I'd fancy Detroit more if they were at home against the Vikings, but I think the Vikings will pretty much take care of them them there. Um, and already this early in the season, if the Saints are wanting to do anything, it's quite an important game on the road that they've got. You know, it's another it- divisional game. It's important for Winston, I think, because you can make excuses for him. The the rib injury, the the fact he was at the point of the game where he had to do something, he did something that didn't work, and it just went spiraling wrong at that point. It's kind of nothing to lose throws. But the only way that you get a, even remotely a pass on that is if you come back out the following week and you start balling. Um, you know, obviously, remember going to see the Bucks vs. the Panthers at the Tottenham Stadium and was it the first play of the game that he threw an interception? Um, mm. So, you know, if he comes out and does that, it could be a long afternoon. But there's some there's some cracking ties in there nonetheless, I think. I think Patriots-Ravens is really interesting now. I expect the Ravens to do really well and win that. But actually, what can the Patriots do? Can the Patriots expose that secondary? Very interesting. Titans-Raiders, two teams with stuttering teams that just not really shown up, but we know... Both have players highly capable. I mean, Devontae Adams, we didn't really touch on that um, and how poor he was in his second game. We're not used to seeing that sort of performance from him. Jets-Bengals is interesting because the Bengals O-line is absolutely horrible and the Jets have a bit of wind in their sails. Can the Jets go on and go on and can they be 2-1 and one coming out of this weekend? Could be. And then, bizarrely, that Giants-Cowboys game is fascinating as well in Monday Night Football because the Giants could be 3-0. and oh. Or can Cooper Rush lead the Cowboys to a victory? And then is the pressure going to come on Daniel Jones? Because at the moment, he's getting a pass because of the results. Incidentally, on that, a lot of love on Twitter for Jamie Gillen. One tweet I saw someone post in particular was, if Jamie Gillen was on the Giants last year, Joe Judge would have punted on every third down, which I just thought was, <laughs> was very good. Um, the Bucks, Packers and the Cardinals, Rams, though, are for me really interesting games. Um the late the late window. I think they're crackers. The the Seahawks Falcons nah Broncos Niners doesn't really feel like Sunday night football. I just uh, I don't know. But but if you flip it and it's Russell Wilson against the 49ers feels like Sunday night football. What for you then are you looking forward to the most? What do you guys think is the biggest upset of the week? It's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, if Miami were to beat Buffalo at home, would that be an upset? I think I so. think it I think it would be. Yeah, I think it would be. Um, so I, I'm certainly looking there. If if Colts somehow can take care of Kansas City, that would be that that would be an upset um, from that. But. Yeah, the the game is. I mean, Pittsburgh against Cleveland. I mean, I think we should talk about this. Obviously, you know that was on Amazon Prime. You know, debuted their Thursday night football, and it was supposed to be much trumpeted. They brought in the NBC exec producer to have a look at it. You know, Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreit. I don't know about you guys. It just looked like any other game. I didn't think um, the graphics were particularly fancy. I didn't think the camera work was anything radical. Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit looks like they've been chatting to each other for years. Very comfortable partnership. I didn't think there was any problem with them, but if it was supposed to come with bells and whistles, it, 
it failed as far as I was concerned, unless they're saving themselves for Pittsburgh, Cleveland, of course. But. I thought it felt more like the college football coverage, like in what we've seen with college football. Like you had the the pundits sitting outside the stadium with people around and then they moved and they, they got up and then there were segues with them walking and talking. I think they, tr- they mixed it up, but they didn't necessarily bring anything new to the conversation. Now it's their first game. Um, I thought there was a lot of razzmatazz, but th- nothing new. So it'll be interesting to see how they grow over the season. Yeah, that's fair. I just, I, you know, the number of cameras they had and the two sky cams and everything, nothing really looked any, any greatly different to me. It, it, there was pomp and there was ceremony and there was, like I say, razzmatazz. And it was like, da 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 you know, there was a there was a chorus line. There was jazz hands. There was fireworks. Some confetti. But we've seen all that in the football before. So that's it. That for me, that's it. It's a lot of the the things that catch the eye, not anything original. And I think that's where they need to maybe I, put I their own like, stamp on it. I do like. So I didn't. I just watched it on Sky Sports. Um, but I did like that they apparently had online uh, like all twenty two footage with like tracking of players and stuff like that. I think that's quite a cool quirk. And if you're going to do something different, having something like that, I think is very interesting. They also had the dude perfect thing, which I thought looked incredibly stupid. So, you know, there's a, a bit of both. I'll, I'll give you a game. I'm weirdly, I don't even know if I'm excited to watch it as a game, but I'm really excited to see what the outcome is, is Raiders Titans. Cause one of those teams, either a team that is in the best division in football and oh, all four of them might make the playoffs or the number one seed in the AFC last year, are going 0-3. And all of a sudden then you're in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, your, your season, I mean, it's not quite on the line, but I, I think you've got to win this if you're going to have any hope of doing of doing anything yet. It, it is a certainly, certainly a weird one. Just to finish talking about TV for a second, if, if you watch, it was obviously it was a double header of Monday Night Football um, one was on ESPN, one was on ABC. And if you watch some of the coverage, it was quite weird the number of times, you know, they had the score bug from the other game up for a long time. They split the screen on several occasions. It's interesting that they embraced almost joining the games together. But uh, but not but not embracing us across here who prefer to watch the games the next morning. Because if you tried to watch one game yeah, and then well, the other... Which which was the exact point I was going to make because I stuck it on thinking, well, I'll watch the first game. And of course, you're halfway through it and you're getting all the score updates from the other one. Um, Yeah, that that was slightly weird. And from a a watch again perspective, was not particularly helpful. Yes, I totally agree. Not done with an international market in mind at all, that one. So let's hope they don't try it again. All right, we've been palting on for a while. There's just one last thing I'm going to add. The game, I'm, I'm going to chuck a hot take. I think if the Indianapolis Colts, they are going to lose. I think if they get embarrassed again, my hot take is that Frank Reich is gone as early as Monday because I think that the Colts will see that Sean Payton is sitting there and that the Cowboys are circling and they'll try and swoop for them before the Cowboys get the chance to. Cow- Cowboys, Panthers, Colts, it might be a, a three-way race to fire your head coach. I, I kind of feel the Cowboys will probably 
stick around enough that they probably lose out in that sweepstake and someone like the Colts or the Panthers might make a move. There's talk that Matt Rule is a loss away. The thing I don't understand about that is Matt Rule signed a big contract with the Panthers. See if you're going into this week three game saying, ah, if he loses against the Saints, that's it. He's gone. Fire him now. <laughs> you, yeah. already, you already know he's gone at some point this season yeah. at that point, so fire him and get your head coach. See, I, I th- I'm, I'm with Gordon on this one. It, it, it appalls me that teams think that one result will change their season. The guy can either do the coaching job or he can't. You know, so if Matt Rule was to, to beat the Saints on a, a fluke interception, you know, in the last second of the game, it doesn't make him a better coach. It doesn't make him a worse coach. And that really... It, it, it does irritate me. I think Frank Reich is safe. Um, I don't see a problem there. I, I'm convinced that Peyton will be at the Cowboys. I'm almost convinced there's a gentleman's agreement that unless the Cowboys get to the championship game, he's already in there next season. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that deal has already been done. There's a hot mm, take for me. Fine. Okay. We'll see as soon as there's a head coach appointment and it's not Sean Payton. I'm not sure there's anyone was, better was sitting his, on the waiting list. Was his contract up in New Orleans anyway, or did he have a year left? No, he still he still got time. He still had time left. On yeah, his so like at so, that at, at that point, there's like trade options there, which is nice for the Saints. Yeah, yeah, and he, he, if you're going to trade, going you're going to trade conference. out of your conference, right? Yeah, he's, well, he's not going yeah, to the Colts. But... He's going to the Cowboys. He'll go to the Cowboys. I'm fairly sure of that. Okay. Time will tell. I'm going to timestamp this one and come back to it. Um, okay, right. We've been prattling on for ages. We need to wrap this one up. Before we do, a couple of things to update you on. First of all, we've got a couple of other live events that we're supporting coming up in October. We've got one in Glasgow and we've got one in Edinburgh. So Ian Stephen, that's part of the podcast team, has his own company called 82 Press and they are going to be bringing over former NFL player Hollis Thomas, who played for the Eagles. So what time to be bringing him over while the Eagles are on a high? If you're unfamiliar with Hollis, he's a substantial man. Ian has had to book two seats on the plane for him because he needs both to come over. If you're unsure who Hollis is, go look him up and see him talking, and you'll see that he is absolutely hilarious. This is guaranteed to be a brilliant night. We're trying something new and we're supporting Ian in doing this. So we'll be going to Glasgow on Sunday, the 23rd of October, and we'll be having a follow-up event on in Edinburgh on Monday, the 24th. That Sunday event will be uh, a chance to meet Hollis, to hear from him, and to do a bit of a watch-along of the games with him at Committee Room 9 in Glasgow. Then on the 24th, it will be a longer conversation with Hollis Thomas at the Golf Tavern. We will share out the link for tickets, you can use the code STRAMASH to get 50% off as well. There's standard tickets, there's VIPs. All the details will be on there. Make sure you check it out. Come along. Uh, this is something that we're trying that's a little bit different. If these things are successful, we'll continue to do it. We've already been speaking to some other former NFL players that would be brilliant to bring over to the UK. So if you guys out there, NFL fans in Scotland, want us to put on events and bring NFL players on, come and support, come and see it. I promise you it'll be a brilliant night and hopefully we'll see you there the one other thing that i want to talk about as well is that there is been messaged 
by, uh, I think it's Jason, who is part of the Bills Mafia in Scotland, to, to make us aware of a documentary that's been put together. The story behind the NFL's wildest fans, Bills Mafia, you can look up sports docs as the user. Um, it's a great uh, little 15-minute documentary on the Bills Mafia, the wildest fans in the NFL. And we saw them in action again, if you're on social media, multiple people jumping through tables on concrete wild. Did you see the guy? Did you see the guy covered in ketchup and mustard? Yep. <laughs> and it just, like, I, I don't even know what, how can you enjoy watching the game in that state of affairs? No, no, he, he got taken away to the Mayo Clinic where he got all cleaned up, so we're fine. Talking uh, talking talk <clears throat> videos, have you seen the Eli Manning video? Yes. Walking up for Penn State, how good is that? If nobody's that, if you've not seen that, go and watch it. It's utterly brilliant. Really, really clever stuff. Walk on, um, Eli Manning, Penn State University. Terrific stuff. The last thing that we need to do before we go then is we need to pick the winner of the Loch Lomond Stramash whiskey for this week. So, Paul, you did it last week. Gordon, you get to do it this week. I need a number between 1 and 47, please. Uh, let's go with uh, the number of points that the Ravens would have had to have led by in the fourth quarter to have won that game. 47. <laughs> Congratulations to Paul Marnie. Paul Marnie, you have won yourself a bottle of Loch Lomond Stramash whiskey. We'll reach out. We'll get that sent out to you. But other than that, I think that's the full-time whistle for episode 202 of the Stramash podcast. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Make sure that you continue to share your thoughts on social media at Scotland NFL on Twitter. Reach out to any of us directly. We we'll always look forward to hearing from you. But join us again next week. Uh, we'll have our usual Stramash. We'll have our Team of the Week. We'll have our Belter. We'll have our Bowfing. And we might even have Charles Patterson. But for now, for Gordon McGuinness, for Cameron Hobbs, and myself, Paul Mitchell, thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>